0: Okay, alright, let's uh, have a look at our Bibles. I'm going to ask, ask you to open up in John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is a, a very well-known chapter for, for all of us here because it really summarises uh, what the Jesus Christ want to get across to the world. And that was uh, when he talked to a very religious Jewish man named Nicodemus that you need to be born again. And uh, you need to be born of water and the spirit to enter the kingdom of God. And unless you do enter into the kingdom of God, you're not ready for another life to come. But I want to go a little bit further into the story here this afternoon and uh, verse 14 we're going to read. And we read here, And as Moses, and these are the words of Jesus himself, uh, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of God, for the Son of Man be lifted up. For those that are unaware, there was a time when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and obviously they had a, uh, an overabundance of snakes and many people were being bitten and died. And uh, so Moses went and sought the Lord for them and as a result of it, uh, the Lord told them to make a, a brass and serpent, a um, serpent upon a rod, and when anyone got bitten, that they would come. And before uh, Moses and, and the priests, and they would lift up the rod, and uh, then they would have to look tentatively upon that rod. It was really their faith that was being uh, directed here. And if they looked upon that and believed in their God, that they were healed even from the bite of the serpent. And so, this is what we're reading about here, of how that Moses lifted up the the uh, the serpent or the rod and the serpent of course as we know is a symbol of the devil and the devil is the one that is in the world and uh, he, the world lifts him up and they put him on the pedestal these days because the, the adage is amongst many in society where well, you do what you want to do it doesn't matter whether it's right it doesn't matter whether it's wrong it's what you want to do and so uh, we find that in like manner as it has been all the way through history with mankind Man seems to find an ability to sin pretty easy. And so uh, in the same way as this uh, illustration took place, that Jesus Christ is going to be lifted up and was lifted up from the earth. He he hung upon a cross suspended between heaven and earth. And they looked upon him. And as they looked upon him, of course, it says in like manner, he was able to make a way for them. And of course as a result of it it goes on to say here in verse 15 that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. So for the children of Israel they looked upon it if they were bitten by the serpent. And as we're just trying to explain that most people in one way or another have been bitten by a serpent until they come to know the Lord. The devil is in their realm or they're in the devil's realm. And so Jesus was lifted up that we might be able to obtain a different life, that we might obtain an eternal life, and as it goes on to say, the God, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And of course, that was His purpose to have everlasting life available to all of mankind. However, unfortunately, people take this scripture; it's the most well-known scripture in the New Testament. And they'll say, well, look, this is uh, what you need to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. And, of course, that's not what it's all about at all. Because if you read the first few verses, it would have told you that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be born again of water and the Spirit. You'll be baptized and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as our brother said, uh, you know that because you'll speak in tongues. But people today don't want to accept that. Oh, but I believe and therefore I'm saved. Uh, Well, faith without works is dead. And uh, their idea of God is, is, is a dead way of looking at it. But you have to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means you've got to be obedient to him. You've got to believe what he says. And that's what's so very, very important. And it says in verse 17 here, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. That was his intent to send his son to save mankind. Because he knew that mankind was getting further and further away from him. As we often point out, that God gave a perfect law in the Ten Commandments to the just of the children of Israel at that time, but they couldn't live by it, and we can't live by it either. And so Jesus sent a better way. He sent his son into the world to be the propitiation, the one that would cancel out our sins. And so that's why Jesus came. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12 we read how Jesus described as uh, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the beginning and the end of our faith. So that's why we need to look unto Jesus. Consider him. He had a contradiction of sinners against him when he was on the earth. They took him out and they crucified him. But he rose from the dead. And By raising or being raised from the dead we are People who do not have to perish anymore, but rather have a promise that one day we're going to have eternal life with God. In the book of Acts chapter 3, just referred refer to scripture in verse 15, and uh, they killed the Prince of Life, whom God had raised from the dead. And of course the whole thought was, as far as uh, the Jews were concerned, they got rid of this Jesus Christ. He was an embarrassment to them. They knew he performed miracles and the people saw the miracles and he was gaining more and more popularity and the Old Testament uh, uh, priesthood didn't want this. Uh, and so the, the scribes and the Sadducees and the high priests and all of them uh, they really, as we know, took him to the cross by false accusations because they said that he's wrong to say he was the son of God. And he was the son of God. And so... They killed the Prince of Life, the one, the only one that could save them in this world. And so, God entrusted in Jesus Christ as the giver of life, being the one who would be able to make people have a new life, who would live also forever. He brought life and immortality to light, the Bible says, through Jesus Christ, his son. So let's have a look at a few thoughts. We're going to look at uh, uh, a few thoughts back. Now we'll go to Deuteronomy in chapter 30 in the Old Testament. Right in the early part of the Old Testament. After Numbers is the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy and chapter 30. This is the time when Moses is there. And uh, we'll read here, perhaps from uh, verse 14. Moses is saying that the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thine heart that thou mayest doest it or do it. And see I've set before you and really is they making a declaration he's calling the people to make a decision in their life of things that needed to be attended to and that's their own relationship with God. He said see I've set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. You've got a choice. You've got to make a decision about this. for there is a penalty if you want to sin. It says, In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply and that the Lord God shall bless thee in the land whether so." Thou goest to possess it. But if thine turn thine heart away, so that thou shalt not hear, but be drawn away and worship other gods, and serve him, then I will denounce you this day, that ye shall surely perish, for in the day that, uh, in that you shall not prolong your years upon the land, whither thou goest and passest over Jordan and go to possess it. And of course, he's talking about the fact that uh, they weren't going to enter in to that promised land. And so here we see the children of Israel. They were God's people. Their name, Israel, means to rule with God. And so he wanted them to take into their heart the commandments that he said as being the right commandments. And there was a call here that they had to make a decision because to sin resulted in a penalty, as it still does today. Keep commandments of God or you'll die. I'm not talking about just in the natural, but die in a spiritual way. So they had to appeal to the people here, as Moses is, to be obedient so they could enter into the promised land that he had for them. There's a worldly saying, people often say it if they get a bit upset with someone, why don't you get a life? And we've probably all heard that saying somewhere along the line. Get a life. What they really mean is get a quality of life by their own measure. What I think is a quality of life. I mean, even if we talk to people today about Jesus Christ and tell them that they can be born again, they can have a wonderful experience, they can be healed, they have a promise of living forever. They'll turn around and say, "Oh, why don't you get a life? Well, we've got it, in the sense when we're born again. So what God is really talking about here, and what God is talking to us in the New Testament about, is talking about the actual gift of God, which is eternal life. He wants us to live forever with His Son, but it's conditioned We have to make that decision. Are we going to follow God or are we going to listen to the ways of men? You know, people even today still argue about immortality and they even try and put it up against the Bible and regarding the afterlife or even the concept of resurrection because they just haven't got a clue. They don't understand any of it. But the reality is that God wants that for you. And we go right back to the beginning of the time of Adam. Adam was given a chance at immortality right from the time that God had formed him out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Rather interesting, the word soul was even akin to the word flesh. And so, he was intended by God if he was obedient, and did all that was right by God, that he would live forever. That was God's intention. To put man in the garden and be prepared, and put him there to live forever. But he made a very simple commandment. Don't partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, you'll die. And so he had a choice too. But what did he do? He ignored the Creator's instruction. After his wife had eaten of the, uh, the forbidden fruit, he ate of it too, and then got even worse. He tried to blame her. But the reality was, he disobeyed God. And so that disobedience put him out of the Garden of Eden. In fact, the Bible says how that there was a, a set at the, an angel at the entrance in with a sword that he could not get back, ever get back in again. And of course, that was a tragedy. And so life was given right back in the creation of man from the time of Adam, of an ability to live forever. So there was a hope there even of salvation in that sense. Redemption from sin and from death. And there's really, if we look at it from that Adam, there's a straight line right throughout history to the next Adam. The Bible calls him the last Adam in the book of Corinthians. And that last Adam is Jesus Christ in type. But he brought a salvation, not like the one that was promised to him just by simple commandment, but by obedience to God through Jesus Christ. The last Adam was made a life-giving spirit. And the salvation he made available to us is take us from the position we're naturally in before we come to know God, and that natural position is ending up in death. That's where the Bible says very clearly we're all doomed to die. Adam had a promise of eternal life if he was obedient. We're promised we'll have eternal life if we're born again. No other way. So we actually go from being subject to death immediately. In a sense the word mortal means dying. The mortal is the dying man. And so we've promised in a sense death. But through Jesus Christ we've promised that we can go from that death, we can go to a new life. And that's what the Bible is wanting us to understand. Let's have a look over in chapter 2 of Hebrews. It talks about Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2. We'll start reading in Here in verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard lest at any time that we should let them slip. It says, For the word spoken by the angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How will we, or shall we, escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which was uh, first begun to be spoken by the Lord, and confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and divers or different miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. And that's what happened to us. That the preeminence of the message of Jesus Christ brought us from the place we're in unto a new place. And for time we'll go down a little bit further and see a bit more about what Jesus did for us. In verse 9 it says, But we see Jesus, Paul is writing to the church, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. A little lower than the angel means he was made a man, a natural man. The angels, of course, are ministering spirits in the Bible. And it says, so the suffering, it says, This him is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. That's what God wanted. A perfect offering on the cross of Calvary. And the only one that was good enough was he, his own son, I should say. And so he was to taste death for every man. It says, for it became him for whom are all things and And whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, and to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And so through Christ's sufferings, we can be made perfect before God, because of what He's done for us. For both He that that sanctifieth and they that are sanctified are all as one, when we have that union with Christ, for which cause He is not ashamed to call them brethren, spiritual brothers and sisters, saying that I will declare thy name unto my brethren, and in the midst of the church I will sing praise unto thee, and again I will put my trust in him, and again behold I and the children which God has given me, spiritually adopted. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, in other words, when he was a man, that through death he might destroy him that hath power of, the power of death, that is, the devil, and to deliver them who through fear of death are all their lifetime subject under bondage. For verily he took the, not on the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, a man, and it says, Wherefore in all things it behoved him that he was to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So Christ, the Bible says in another place, was a natural man. In all points it says he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And he proved it could be done. The only man that's ever lived the perfect life on earth was Jesus Christ. But the point that's coming out here is that he did it for us. Let's have a look over in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. As Paul writing to the church at Ephesus and he says this, I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye should henceforth walk not as other Gentiles or Gentiles and unbeliever in the vanity of their mind. Don't walk as a natural person in the vanity of your own mind. Having the understanding, the understanding of God darkened, being alienated, separated from the life of Christ through ignorance that is in them, and because of the blindness of their hearts, who, being past feeling, have given themselves unto lasciviousness and work to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you heard him and you have been taught by him as the truth is in Christ. And so again it brings out this Understanding that we can either be in the world or through Christ we can have a totally new beginning. We are naturally in the flesh alienated from the life of Christ. Let's have a look back in John chapter 5. A couple of other points here. The Gospel of John chapter 5 and verse 24. Verse 24, Jesus is speaking here and he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed, as we said, the way God wants to have it to be. We are passed from death, subject to death, unto an everlasting life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. And if you're new here today and you understand your own inadequacies and failings, if you want to listen, you can live and live forever. And that's what this uh, is very, very clearly bringing about verse the father in verse 26 hath life in himself so even as given unto his son they have life in him and given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of God and it goes on talking a lot like in like manner so the Lord has made this opportunity for us to hear the word that's what we hear today He'll listen to the word. He's also made the opportunity that we might pass from death to life. We're all subject to be said to death. But the dead in sin can only have life by being obedient unto God's words. That's the only way that we can have it by being obedient. And then we'll pass from death to life. Such people, he says in the Bible, will not come to the judgment of death, but they'll be part of the first resurrection. You know, one day the Bible says that our natural life, spiritual life, keeps us breathing, returns unto God who gave us. But when we're talking about that, we're talking about spiritual life that is one, that is forever. And that's what we could read too, if we have a look a little further in John chapter 10. John chapter 10. There's a couple of verses here. John chapter 10 and verse 10. It says, The thief, which is the devil, cometh not but to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus says, I am come that they might have a life. But not only that, they might have it more abundantly. And I am the good shepherd that giveth his life for the sheep. And so again it makes the point clearly that Jesus Christ laid down his natural life that we might receive spiritual life. In our English language we only have one word and that's the word life. But in the original Greek it's telling us that Jesus will lay down his natural life Zush in the Greek, something like that that we might obtain spiritual life. The life in the absolute sense being like the life that God has. That's what it's really bringing out. The life he gave to the resurrected son that he could rise from the very dead that has now been entrusted to him to give to us. In Ephesians chapter 5 it says, just a quote, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ to shine in your life. If you're just sleeping, and not really listening, Christ can't do anything. But if you wake up to righteousness, then the Lord is able to come into your life, and give you more light that will shine. You become a different person. I remember years ago, I was at a funeral, and a brother died, that had a large brain tumour, He was a man that had a total conviction about his God. Thank God I've never forgotten about his testimony was that at the end when he couldn't remember who we were, the moment you said, Brother, let's have prayer, he would burst out praying in tongues as clearly, as absolutely clear tongue come pouring out of his mouth. As we know it bypasses the mind. But I think that the other thing that I remember about this man because he had a lot of his family that were very opposed to what he'd actually done, he and his wife had been born again. And they were thrilled with their life, but the family hated our fellowship. Because we'd taken away the parents. We hadn't. We'd made their life something different. I remember the pastor gave the talk, and the coffin was down the front, and he says, I don't think he could help himself if I want to tell you something. As he says there are people here that are more dead than the man in that coffin. Ooh! I think they might have got the point somewhere along the line. Okay, let's have a look back uh, at a couple of other things I want we'll look at. Leviticus chapter 17. I don't think you'd hear that a normal funeral. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 10. It says, And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn or travel among you that eat any manner of blood, I will set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from being uh, among his people. For the life of all flesh is in the blood. The life of all flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you, upon the altar to make an atonement, or to counsel out, the word atonement means to counsel out your sins. For it is the blood that maketh the atonement for the soul, which is akin to the flesh. And therefore I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall you any stranger that said Jonathan. Uh, Eat blood. And whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel, or the stranger that sojourn among you, that hunteth and catcheth any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall even pour out the blood thereof, and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh, and for the blood of it is for the life thereof. Wherefore I said, under the children of Israel he shall not eat or he shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof and whosoever eateth it shall be cut off so he brings out a very important point here that the life of all flesh is in the blood the blood was to make an atonement or as word means to counsel out our sin even to the point that we could rise from the dead and Christ can shine in our hearts even to that very point so in the natural without blood the flesh cannot live we know that we must have enough blood flowing through our bodies or else our bodily functions will deteriorate and, and will die Blood, if you look at it, is a very amazing, complex substance. It's just an incredible substance. The things that the blood carries around from one part of the body to the other. And it's so fundamental in the function of every cell, of every component of our bodies. We need the blood. The life of all flesh is in the blood. You know, blood, they say, has to be in the right place in our body at the right time, at the right temperature, and at the right pressure to fulfill this obligation to the body. We actually sing a a hymn with a chorus, and I like the chorus where it says, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb," And that's what we need to understand, how much the blood of Christ should be. People didn't understand for centuries what the life of the blood was all about. At one point there, they didn't even know that the heart was the organ that pumped the blood back in history. You know, there was even the idea that if you were sick, you fed more into the body so you could feed the disease so it was able to mature and get out of your body. So they understood it one way. And then after a while, they had a different idea about the blood they take it out of your body if you are sick. And in fact, George Washington, the first President of the United States of America, had a very severe infection. And so they took out a pint of his blood and he didn't get better. He took another pint and he didn't get better. In the end, they took something like four or five pints of blood out of his body. The blood got thicker and he died. They took the life out of the body, the life of all flesh. You know, it's just incredible the ignorance of mankind in so many spheres. But what the Bible is telling us too here, and we haven't got time to look at it, that to take blood by mouth is an idolatrous act. In the Old Testament time, without the shedding of blood, no remission. And the Bible tells us there is a day of atonement. If we go back to the chapter 16, just near where we are now in verse 15, we'll look at a few verses now for time. Chapter 16 of Leviticus and verse 15. It says, then the goat of the sin offering? that is before the people, and bring his blood therein within the veil, to do with it that the blood as he did with the blood of a bullock and sprinkled upon the mercy seat, this is in the the temple, and before the mercy seat. And it shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, because of their transgression and of their sins so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth into the atonement, or maketh an atonement in the holy place, until he cometh out, and have made an atonement for himself, and for his household, and for all the congregation of Israel. And it goes on to talk about what he had to do. And then of course, uh, we haven't got time, we'll, we'll just go down to a few verses. And it says, uh, And Aaron, in verse 21, shall lay both his hands upon the head of a live goat. So after they shed the blood, Aaron would put his hands upon this live goat, and he would confess over that goat all the iniquities, all the sins of the children of Israel, and all their transgressions, and all their sins. And putting them upon the head of the goat, and then he sent him away the goat by the hand of a fit man looking right under the wilderness, and the goat shall bear up on him all the iniquities unto um, into unto a land not inhabited a desert place, and there shall let go the goat in the wilderness, and then it goes on to talking about the fact that uh, that the animal will be killed in the wilderness, and all the sins of the people will be taken away. You know, that was what Jesus Christ was. He was the scapegoat. you heard that term in the world, someone's a scapegoat. They put all the sin and the sickness upon Jesus Christ, we read in the scriptures, in that one moment of time. And now him on a cross. He was our scapegoat. He took away all our sins for us. Praise the Lord. And the Bible says, so much so. In the book of uh, Proverbs 103 it says as far as the east is from the west so shall the Father God remove our transgressions from us. That's how much God wants to forgive our sins if we're honest to him. And we read that in the scriptures our sins are cancelled out by what Jesus Christ achieved. I'm leaving things out now for time. It says in 1 John chapter 1 but if we walk in the light The light of the gospel message, good news of being born again. We have a fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all our sins. And so even when we're baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit, we can still make our mistakes. But if we get out of the darkness of what we've done wrong and we get back into the light of what is right by God and we walk in that light, then the blood of Jesus Christ will take away still Ever cleansing our sins. And that's what the Bible tells us very clearly in the Scriptures. We can make our mistakes, but the blood of Christ is still there for us. But you've got to turn unto him. If we have a look over to John, just a couple of things towards finishing now. John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 52. It's a wonderful chapter here as Jesus declaring himself to be the bread of life the type of the manna that came down from heaven the one that was to offer up his own blood for us so if we read here in verse 52 it says the Jews therefore strove among themselves saying how can this man give us his flesh to eat because they were thinking natural flesh not symbolic of what it represented. And then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, ye shall have no life in you. Of course we know that we're going to remember that in a minute. was a type of the communion that we're partaking of, a type of the Old Testament Passover that they understood, but they didn't understand how it could work. And whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. A simple statement Jesus makes. And I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. And as the living Father has sent me and I live by the Father so he that eateth me, even so, shall live by me. This is that bread that came down from heaven, talking about the manna. As your fathers did eat manna and are dead, and he that eateth this bread, the bread of Jesus Christ, his broken body, the communion, the bread of life, shall live forever. And then down to uh, time again, we can look in, or in, uh, we'll go on from verse 60, and many of his disciples, when they heard these things, said, this is a hard saying. How can you make this statement? This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And then Jesus uh, knew in himself, the disciples murmured. he said unto them, does this offend you? Offend you because uh, I said you've got to eat of my body and you've got to drink of my blood. What if you shall see the Son of Man ascending up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth; the flesh profiteth nothing. But the words that I speak, that they are spirit, and they are life. And there are some of you that believe not. And that day, even after all that, many of them left and walked away from Christ. <coughs> what a tragedy! Jesus Christ was trying to get a point across to his disciples. He's trying to shake out their preconceptions of the Old Testament way that it was written back there in the book of Leviticus. At that moment he was clearly associating his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary that uh, was to come with the ritual of the passion beaten at the whipping post for us by the stripes we were healed. What he's saying to us even today is my flesh is true food for you and my blood his true drink, true, true drink, drink true. say drink, no, I was going to say dink. And so it's the spirit that gives us the life. When we're born of the Holy Spirit and we come into the kingdom of God, here's Jesus at the end of his uh, earthly ministry, and he was wanting to celebrate when he did, on the Last Supper, a communion with them that represented the path over. Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. And then drink of this cup, which is shed for the uh, for the sin of many. Let's have a look to finish in Colossians in chapter three. Colossians chapter three, verse one. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. If we understand that we're going to be raised up on the day that Jesus comes back, keep looking to the things that are above, to the heavenly realm where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections, which means your spiritual thinking and mind, on the things that are above and not on the things of the earth. are dead. We're dead because we died with Christ in type. And your life is here with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, when he comes back the second time, as he comes through the clouds of the heavens, and with the angels sent to the four corners of the earth, they are there to gather the very elect from one end of the earth to the other. So when Christ is our life shall appear, you will also appear with him in glory. A ready regenerated person, a born again person whose one believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's one that believes and knows because they're born again that they will enter in at His coming. And all the people say.